0: I think she's singing about um, what's happened to you if you know Jesus Christ. Um, Eleni, do you need to turn the. We do have one or two or three fans in the hinterlands, so we like to, we like to provide this for them. Um, She's singing about that born again thing, right? She's singing about what Jesus told Nicodemus, the perfect religious man he lacked. Um, You must be born again or you cannot see the kingdom of God. This is Sarah Groves, American composer, singer. She sings something changed inside me. And here's what, I want, here's what I want you to hear. This is why I'm playing the song. And, it, and she says, It broke wide open and it all spilled out. Now, this is what Christianity looks like. If it's not spilling out, there's a problem. You've got the same problem Nicodemus had. If it's not spilling out, it has to spill out. You heard me read the text. There are many other places I could go. It's got to spill out. She continues, till I had no doubt. I knew something had changed. I'd, I never would have believed it till I felt it in my own heart. In the deepest part, the healing came. I love that. And I cannot make it. I cannot fake it. I cannot afford it. But it's mine. Something changed inside me. Now, I, I don't know how you talk about your conversion, but I'd talk about my conversion exactly like this. As, uh, as one woman who came through here said, you know, one day Jesus just wasn't interesting to me. And now he's my primary interest, right? So this is, this is how I experienced conversion. And it happened very quickly and almost to the point for me. Um, the point is, God is sovereign. If you're not convinced, keep keep doing your work. God is sovereign in the salvation of his people. But you must respond. It is necessary that you respond to God. And what does the Bible tell us? That we respond, we believe by faith. Now, if you go to that Ephesians 2 passage, you realize faith is a gift of God. God gives faith, but you must exercise. But what does it mean to believe? That's what we're going to talk about this morning. What does it mean to believe? Are we talking simply about believing facts? Is that what the Bible means when they say you must believe in Jesus Christ? Is that what the Bible is saying? We believe facts? Well, you heard me read the text. Um, So we'll work through it. But I love how Sarah Gross, she says, I cannot make this. She says, I can't manufacture this. I could never stir this up in my own heart. I could never do that. This is an inside out change. It's miraculous, and she feels it and she knows it. She said, I can't fake it. She says, It's so big, it's so extreme, it's so radical. I could never gin this up in my own heart. And then she said, I I can't afford it. This is so, she's saying, this is so infinitely valuable. I could have never bargained for it or bought it or paid for it. It's a gift from God, right? This is what she is talking about. She says, but it's mine. It's mine. It's mine. It's that gift of God, Ephesians 2.8. It is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. You know that great text, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, God caused us to be born again. And then you got Ephesians 2, 5, God made us alive. God did this. But you must respond. You must persevere. Some people get confused about this, but it's really not confusing at all. And I love that Karen picked that song that... that uh, last song we sang there about freedom. You have freedom to live the gift, right? You have the freedom to actually do the Word of God. You have the freedom to do it. God has given you this freedom. You know, the thing about Christians, right? We're not perfect. None of us are perfect. We all got miles to go. None of us are perfect, but we are one thing. The true believer is relentless. Relentless. We are relentless. We are on the heels of Christ. We're seeking to magnify Him at every turn. We are relentless. We will not be deterred. We may fall, but we're going to get back up, and we're going to finish. As we talked about a month or so ago, we will finish. We will do the Word of God. Not perfectly, but relentlessly. You guys know John 8, 31 and 32. If you abide in my word, Jesus says, which means you'll, you know, if you're living in my word, you'll do my word. You are truly my disciples and you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Again, I love that song she chose. You are free to live this gift. And if you aren't living the gift, you have some business to do with God. You need to get alone with him and sort this out. God is our fuel, right? God is our fuel to live this life. We don't run on guilt and duty. We don't don't run on duty. That's blasphemous to God that you think you can serve him out of duty. it's blasphemous. You're supposed to serve God because you love him. And of course, the Bible tells us that God is not served with human hands. He doesn't need anything from you or me. He doesn't need anything from any man. He serves us ultimately, but we magnify him, right? It's not a duty if you think it's a duty. Again, you've got business to do. It is not a duty. It is not ought or should. It can't be ought or should. It's always, I love this awesome God, and I give myself away to him, even as he gave himself away to me. This is, this is bottom line Christianity. You know, you go to that uh, Hebrews 11 text, which I often refer to. And it's just, it's just, it's God's definition of faith. He he defines it, then he illustrates it. And it's just, it's just the change spilling out in in all of these lives, right? (laughs) You know, Noah and Abraham and and David and, and um, yeah, on and on and on and on. It's just faith spilling out. So the question for you and I is the faith spilling out. It's supposed to be conspicuous. If it's not conspicuous, it's not biblical. It's supposed to be conspicuous that men may see what? Your good works and they may what? Glorify your Father who is in heaven. Famous, the most famous sermon ever preached, right? Sermon on the Mount. The words of Jesus. So this is what God is saying to us tonight as we look at James chapter 2. As we all know, and as I beat this drum, I know I beat this drum. I got to tell you why I beat this drum, because this was my experience. I beat this drum because I was an unregenerate man who grew up in the church. Um, I was I had a kind of faith, I guess, but I was on my way to hell and nobody challenged me. Nobody challenged me. Nobody said, Jim, your life is not commiserate with what you say. Your life is way off from what you profess. Nobody challenged me. I was on my way to hell. I was was a good little Baptist boy. Been in church all my life. I I went to church almost every Sunday. Nobody challenged me. I know it's my responsibility to to be in the word, you know, but still nobody challenged me. So I have a little scar tissue here. You know how it is in many churches. If you just believe the facts, if you can properly pray a prayer and if you acquiesce to being baptized, you're pronounced a Christian. You can't find this formula anywhere in the Bible. This is not how the Bible talks about conversion. We're, we're We're in this we're in this 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 these few verses here that really highlights What it's supposed to look like in the true believer's life. God's call has never been a tidy religious thing. It's always been a radical turn your life upside down sort of thing. And If you don't believe me, just read through your Bible. And every person God comes to, their life is blown up in a wonderful way. Because they, 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 they come to understand it, they were really just dead men walking till God came. And then God changed them. And they couldn't help but persevere, right? You know, try, try to stop a true Christian from persevering. You can't do it. There's too much love. There's too much passion. There's too much intimacy, right? There's too much, what have we been talking about? Beauty and adventure, intimacy, beauty and adventure. There's just too much. You can't stop a true Christian. Believer, you know, these formulas that these church, some of these churches use, it's just it's just disrespect. I say I say it's blasphemy. And as I've warned you in the last several weeks, it's a touching of the glory of God. So as we work through this passage together, I'm in James 2, verse 14, beginning, God will put four questions to us about faith. And he will use some powerfully descriptive terms regarding the kind of faith that doesn't save anyone. The kind of faith that will, I think the title of the sermon on the podcast will be a damning faith. Because that's the kind of faith I had for 28 years. It was a damning faith. So, Jesus, or pardon me, God will put four questions to us. So let's kind of work through it and see what we learn. James 2.14 What use is it, my brethren, if a man says he has faith, but he has no works? First question. Second question. Can that faith save him? When I read this, I have an old buddy. He was here back in like 06. Um, He was an engineer like you guys. Smart guy. And uh, he always used to say the same thing in Bible study. Talk is cheap. (laughs) Talk. Is cheap. God's saying the same thing, right? Talk's important, but if that's all there is, it's nothing. It's nothing. Talk is cheap. We saw this. Uh, if you're if you're familiar with the Book of James, uh, James one twenty two, you can just look. It's probably right on the same page of your Bible. God says. Prove yourselves to be doers of the word, not merely hearers who delude themselves. So if we just hear and hear and hear and we never do, we're deluded according to the word of God. It's a delusion. We're delusional. The consummate consummate, uh, cosmic delusion. We think we're rightly related to God when we're not. Is there any greater delusion than that? I don't think so. The message paraphrase again. The message is not the Bible. It's a paraphrase of the Bible. So you have to be careful with it. But I like Eugene Peterson's paraphrase here. He says, dear friends, verse 14, he says, dear friends, do you think you'll get anywhere if you learn all the right words, but never do anything? Does merely talking about faith indicate that a person really has it? God's answer here today is no. It's a resounding no. There's, there, there's no ambiguity here. No. That's the answer. That's God's answer. What use is it if a man says he has faith, but he never puts any legs to it? What use is it? God says. So God asks the question, can that faith save a man? And God answers the question. Uh, and here's God's answer to the question in 14, picking up in 15. If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and be filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? The third question. What use is that? God says. Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. What use is faith that talks but does not act. What good, is, what good is it to merely be a talker? In effect, is what God is asking. And did you notice there in verse 17, to just, be, to, to just have a talking faith is a faith that is by itself. What is he saying? It's by itself, it gives no evidence of the reality of the profession. It, there's no evidence, it's just words. The, the words are by themselves. right? The words are by themselves. Okay, I'm going to quote Eugene Peterson again. Again, not the Bible. It's a paraphrase of the Bible. Some people enjoy reading it. This is his very best paraphrase, okay? It's uh, James chapter 2, verse 17. His very best one. I love this. Peterson says. Isn't it obvious that God talk without God acts is outrageous nonsense? I love this. I love this paraphrase. Isn't it obvious that God talk without God acts is outrageous nonsense? Yes, it's outrageous nonsense. It's exactly what it is. Just like a lot of preaching and teaching these days, right? That you can just simply believe facts and it's all good. No, not according to scripture. It's not all good. If you just believe facts and speak words, it's not all good. You have every reason to question the legitimacy of your profession of faith. If that's all you are. And I would have loved to have heard a sermon like this, you know, when I was, you know, pre-28. I would have loved for someone, I would have loved for a pastor to challenge me in my religiosity, I would have loved it. Never happened. Of course, that was my fault. I'm I'm in a crummy church, right? That was my fault. That's on me. Ultimately, that's my problem. So biblical Christianity is not a denominational formula. And if any of you are trusting in your denominational formula, I just encourage you to take a real hard look at that. You're not to trust in your denominational formula. You're to trust in the fact that something's changed. And now you know the living God. What does God say in 1 John? That great book of assurance that we've talked about, I bring up all the time, right? I'm going to read 1 John 2, 3 through 6 to you. By this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. The one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments... Is a liar and the truth is not in him, but whoever keeps his word, in him the love of God has been truly for- perfected. By this we know that we are in him. The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. Yes, God talk without God acts is outrageous nonsense. And in the text it says that that kind of faith is dead. What does dead mean? Well, you know what it means. It means nothing's going to happen, it's dead. There is no life there. You know, you can look up the word uh, in the dictionary. It's lifeless. It's inoperative. It's inactive. It's powerless. It's useless. It's devoid of life. Dead faith does nothing. It accomplishes nothing. It affects nothing, but it reveals everything. It reveals your faith is not saving. You love God. Listen, when you come in here, I, I talk to you like adults. You know, I, I, I respect you. I respect you on that level. I'm not going to dumb this down and I'm not going to make it palatable to your flesh. What I'm going to do is is just say what it says and then you deal with it. Right. You deal with it. I love that God treats us like this. And again, that little phrase being by its Self, As I said to you earlier, Protestants understand that we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. And if that's happened, it all spills out. Your spouse knows it. Your kids know it. Your colleagues know it. Your neighbors know it. It's just spilling out. They know you're not perfect because you've had to apologize to them for some things. Right. They know they know you're not perfect, but you are relentless. Right? You're relentless. You just keep talking about him. You just keep magnifying him. You just keep loving him. You just, keep a, you, you just attempt to keep trying to serve him as best you can to keep his word in the world. I love how John Calvin talks about this uh, famous 16th century Protestant reformer. He said, faith alone justifies. We get that. Romans chapter 2, 3, or 4. Faith alone justifies. Yes, of course. Yes. And we'll talk about that a little bit in a minute. Faith alone justifies, but the faith that justifies is never alone. That's what he's saying here in that text. It's not by itself. It's not by itself. It's always conspicuous, it's always evident. Again, I refer you back to Hebrews 11. This is a pervasive theme in the metaphors of Jesus when he's talking about true conversion. I invite you to simply go read the words of Jesus in the Gospels. Uh, I'm sure you can think of many examples. I'll give you a couple. What will be evident from the good soil? What's, What's evident from the good soil? Fruit. That's Matthew 13. How do you tell a good tree from a bad tree? Bad tree. Fruit. Matthew 7. How do you tell the difference between the wheat and the tares? Fruit. Matthew 13. What will be evident in the branch that abides in the vine? Fruit. John 15. Genuine born again faith yields up a crop of good works. I'm going to turn over real quick and just read the first six verses of of, uh, John 15. Jesus talking. I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit is taken away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it that it may bear more fruit. Are you you're, you're getting the emphasis here? Verse 3. You are, uh, you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me. Again, li- live by my word. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. So neither can you unless you abide in me. Verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. <laughs> For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, if he's not living in the word and, through, and the word living through him, if it's not spilling out, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. Very, very explicit teaching of Jesus There in John 15, let's go to verse 18. I'm back in James chapter two, but someone may well say you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without the works and I will show you my faith by my works. So faith is like the wind, right? Um, You can't see it, but you feel its effect. Wind is the perfect analogy. It's it's invisible, but you can always see the effect. You always see the effect. So how do we know Noah had faith? There's an ark in the backyard. How do we know Abraham and Sarah had faith? Isaac is walking around. How do we know Moses had faith? There's an exodus out of Egypt. How do we know David had faith? There's a dead giant laying at his feet. It's always like this. It's never not like this they weren't saved by their works. They were saved by God, and then because the fullness of their heart, of that new life that God has poured in, that life spills out, and the works are evident. What they say they believe is not by itself. It's not by itself. (laughs) What they say they believe is conspicuous. Their God is great. You know, you got to go read that thing with David, man. You got to go read that text, right? He says that the world may know that there is a God in Israel, right? Something like that. Maybe poor paraphrase, but I love it. He says, this is why I step in front of a giant. It's not because, you know, I got my chest out. It's because my God is awesome. Got to love that. Got to love that. So I want to say this. It's the eternal life of the believer overflowing into the temporal life of the believer. It's the spiritual life of the believer overflowing into the physical life of the believer. It's the supernatural life of the believer overflowing into the natural life of the believer. This is biblical Christianity. Our Christianity is supposed to be visible. People are supposed to see it, taste it, smell it, touch it. And sometimes you'll be hated for it. We've talked some about that, but you're supposed to expect that and understand that we're supposed to, our faith is supposed to be visible in the world. The world could not care less about another dead religion. There are countless dead religions. Even pseudo Christianity is dead. It offers nothing but deception, right? So I ask you, how are you living out your faith? How is your faith conspicuous to those who are in your orbit? How is your father in heaven being glorified by your good works? It's got to be spilling out, beloved. So God is aggressively and powerfully refuting the false teaching so prevalent in uh, much of the modern church that mental ascent is all that is necessary. I believe, you know, I, I get people all the time. They want to talk to me and especially, you know, atheists and and uh, critics and uh, they, they want to tell me that, um, you know, <clears throat> they believe in God or obviously not an atheist, but but they believe in God. And I always say, so what? Any thinking person believes in an adequate first cause. So what? You believe in God. What does that mean? What does it mean? We'll see a little bit more about that in just a few minutes. So I reference just just a few min- minutes ago. What? Some of you may be saying, "Well, wait, Romans three and four, Paul says, "Men are justified by faith apart from works. Is this some kind of contradiction? And here's what I want to say to you. Um, here's what I want to say to you. It's not a contradiction. It's elucidation. It's clarification. It's illumination. It's explanation. Okay? Paul perfectly elucidates James, and James perfectly elucidates Paul. I'm going to read one of my favorite preachers, John MacArthur, to you. Listen, listen to this. This, is, this will be important for you if you, if you if you stumble on this. James and Paul are not standing face-to-face in confrontation, but they're standing back-to-back fighting common enemies. Paul is fighting those who want salvation to be earned by works. No, no. Can't happen, won't ever happen. No sacraments is going to save you. No good works are going to save you. Morality is not going to save you. Can't happen, it's impossible. And James is fighting those who want a salvation that brings no change. No, there's no such thing as cheap grace. There is no cheap grace. You know, let us sin all the more that grace may abound. What does Paul say? May it never be. This is not the gospel. Cheap grace is not the gospel. Continuing with MacArthur. Paul is saying salvation is by grace alone. James is saying salvation by grace alone will always produce works. There is no tension here. There is no tension here, right? Again, for the average intellect, this is not hard to understand. Although there is all this controversy theologically among denominations, which is just manufactured in my mind. It's all manufactured. A seven-year-old can understand what's being said here. It takes a Ph.D. to mess this up. A seven-year-old can get this. It's not hard. It's just that people have agendas. Denominations have agendas. Sometimes that are unhealthy. Let's finish up 19 and 20. I've always loved this text. <laughs> i got a brother. He almost got fired because, because uh, he was always using this text. And some... Some religious person in the congregation didn't like that he always used this text. I guess it was getting a little too close to home. Where am I? 19. Okay. You believe that God is one? You do well. Oh, guess who else believes God is one? The demons believe it and they shudder. But are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? Fourth question, by the way. There's the fourth question. So God uses the demons to illustrate mental ascent faith. It's like he's saying, oh, you're orthodox. For so those of you who don't know what orthodox means, it just means I subscribe to everything the Bible teaches. I subscribe to it. I'm orthodox. I believe it. It's not that Satan doesn't believe it. It's that he doesn't delight in it. That's the difference. The true Christian delights in it. Right? The demons all believe it, and they shudder, probably something you may have never done. You may have never shuddered before God in His Word. The demons do. They do. You remember when, you remember when, when Jesus used to cast them out and they, they, they would talk to Him? They knew who He was, God of the Most High. They knew who He was. <laughs> are, you, are you here to judge us before our time? They knew who He was. They believe in him way more than your average religious person. This is a huge text that we need to understand. (laughs) I was was listening to MacArthur this week on this text, and I've heard him say this before, and I love it. He says there's no such thing as a liberal demon. No such thing as a liberal demon. They believe every bit of it. They don't discount any of it. The thing is, they just don't love it. They don't delight in it, right? That's the deal. Did you notice God's fourth question about a do nothing faith? What does He say? It's useless. It's useless. This is what he says. It is useless. So God has been as clear as he can be. There's, there's yeah. <laughs> it's, again, a seven-year-old can get this right. The one who hears without doing is deluding himself. James 1, 22. The one who talks without doing has a dead, useless faith. James two seventeen and 20. Again, you have to love the clarity of the word of God. Um, I read this illustration a long time ago. I I don't remember now what biography it was in. It was obviously a missionary who was in uh, the bush in Africa. And he was there working and suddenly a native appeared out of the jungle. He looked him in the eye and he said, I want to know what you teach. And the missionary said, have you uh, heard the gospel? He says, no, I have only seen it. I have only seen it. And this is what your job is and my job. People are supposed to see it and then inquire about the hope that is within you. Right? It's our best evangelism. We're doing. Yeah, you may have a great presentation. You might can just, it may just roll off your tongue. You, know, you might be dazzling. You might be glib. You might be you know, captivating. But you know what's really captivating is living it. People see it, they smell it, they taste it, they notice it. It's our best evangelism. Our Hebrews 11 deeds of faith are our best evangelism. So our lives are a commentary on what we really believe to be true about God. Satan believes, but he rebels. So that's who I was my first 28 years. I believed in a way, but I was in abject rebellion against God every other moment of my life, except when I had to sit in that pew. Out of cultural constraint... Mostly it was by my parents, but later on it was just kind of a cultural thing. It's what we do in Arkansas. We go to church. Everybody goes to church, more or less. Back then, I don't think anybody's going anymore. Maybe a couple. The elect are going, of course. And sadly, there are always those who are merely religious. So God is giving you and me a reality check on our faith tonight. Pardon me, this morning. Um, Is your faith conspicuous? Is it the core of who you are? Is it the focus and thrust of your life? Is it how you live? Is your life proclaiming that Jesus is awesome? Matthew 7, Jesus said, For there is no good tree which produces bad fruit, nor a bad tree which produces good fruit. Each tree is known by its fruit. Sarah Groves is right. Biblical Christianity is not some denominational formula. It is a radical supernatural change of our hearts. She says something has changed inside me and it has broken open and it won't stop spilling out. It's biblical Christianity. It's God's message to us this morning. If we've been begotten of God, if our faith is real, it will Break open and spill out because God says faith without works is dead. Faith without works is akin to demon faith and faith without works is a useless. This is the word of God. This is what he says. I pray that each of us will hear and understand.